I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Thursday afternoon. What's up, everybody? How you doing? It's kind of weird to uh, to not have football uh, season to talk about here. I, I was kind of like midweek this week was like, bro, who should I get for the opposition research podcast? It was like, oh, oh yeah, there's no opposition, at least not now, at least not yet. Uh, Would have been nice to have been talking to somebody who covers Michigan today, but uh, hey, nonetheless, we're okay. Uh, we're almost into the the football offseason. We are into the football postseason for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that later on in this podcast, as well as you know the ongoing developments, the the continuing changing landscape of college football, and certainly that uh, in Iowa City in the Hawkeye football program. Uh, this is one of these uh, the, these topics where I'm probably going to say a thing or two here uh, on Thursday afternoon. That may not even be relevant by the time you hear this on Thursday night or Friday or Saturday or whenever you get around to, to listening to this. And so uh, bear with me on that part of it, uh, if you would, please. Uh, but before we do anything with football, definitely have to start with uh, with some basketball talk uh, as the, the Hawkeyes move to 6-1 and one with an 81-65 to win over Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. Now get a nice long week off. After uh, uh, you know the holiday tournament, and then coming back with the uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, maybe the ACC Big Ten Challenge this season. I don't remember. It doesn't matter because it's going away. It's not going to happen anymore. Uh, that was one of those things. Watching that game Tuesday night, uh, I was sitting there with my wife watching, and you know they're they're doing all the stuff about the the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and um, I was like, you know, this is the uh, maybe they even mentioned this is the last one, and and my wife was like, oh, you know, why is this uh, why is this the last one of these? And it's one of those where um, it's a hard thing to explain because it doesn't make any sense. Well, football is why there's no ACC Big Ten Challenge. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's because realignment is happening, and it's that's happening because of football. And uh, and so then realignment dictates the the media rights agreements, and, and that's all happening because of football as well. And, well, ESPN and the Big Ten aren't going to have a media rights deal uh, moving forward, and so... This is an ESPN television show, essentially, this Big Ten ACC Challenge. And, uh, and so it's, it's going away because of football. We've, uh, we've gone through the looking glass here, people in college athletics. And uh, while some of the changes have, were, were needed, uh, they're maybe not going as, uh, the, the way that some of us had, had hoped or planned. Uh, again, we're going to get to all that here in, in just a little bit here on the Hawkeye Nation podcast. But... Let's talk about this game in Carver Hawkeye Arena. Eighty-one to sixty-five, the Hawkeyes win uh, again. Moved to six and one on the season with a couple of really nice wins so far. A couple of Power Five wins: the Seton Hall game, the Clemson game, now Georgia Tech. A couple of ACC teams uh, in there. You got one more ACC team on the uh, the schedule here, and then that's next week, and we'll talk about that. But Chris Murray is is where you start with this game. The the big thirty twenty game, thirty one points, twenty rebounds, uh, adds four assists, a couple of blocks. Uh, four of eight from three. I saw somebody had put together the stat that he's the first player in the last 20 years from the men's or women's college basketball or the NBA or WNBA to have that kind of a stat line. Uh, that's incredible. He's the first Hawkeye to put up 30 and 20 uh, in a very long time. And, uh, you know, doing things that that even Keegan never did. And Keegan was asked about that after the Kings win last night. And uh, and he, he gave a funny response there, kind of, kind of saying, well, you know, I've had more rebounds than that in a game, and I've I've had more points than that in a game. So, uh, Chris still has some work to do to catch me. But uh, what Chris Murray is doing is is remarkable, and and it's um, you know, I've I've talked about this a couple of times on this show. I talked about it leading up to the season, kind of being worried that too much was being made of Chris Murray, and and too much hype and and expectation and pressure was being put on him because to expect him to make the kind of leap that Keegan made 
I felt like was too big of an expectation. The reason Keegan Johnson or Keegan Johnson, geez, the reason Keegan Murray's ascension last year was such an incredible story is because of how unlikely it is. And so then to expect that to happen again this year with his twin brother, I I felt like was too high of an expectation. And now here we sit seven games into the season, and it's hard to not have that expectation that Chris Murray is an All Big Ten player, that Chris Murray is a candidate for Player of the Year nationally, that he is a first team All American, that he is able to lead this Iowa team to a top four or five finish in the Big Ten, maybe even better than that, to a you know Big Ten tournament championship level uh, of play come March and hopefully be the guy to lead Iowa to its first Sweet 16 in freaking 23 years or however long it's been at this point. Um, it he, he is the guy. He is that guy. He was that guy. Now, he wasn't that guy necessarily all the time. He won't be that guy necessarily all the time. It's going to be too bad that we don't have him to pick up the slack when uh, his brother didn't have those games like we did last year. I think uh, Keegan had or Chris had maybe 29 points against Indiana when, when Keegan didn't have a great game. When when Keegan wasn't on last year, you could look at Chris and hope that he would pick up the slack. You've got guys who can do that this year on Iowa's team. You just don't have the genetic copy <laughs> like you did a, a year ago. But uh, and, and so Chris, you know, did, struggled a little bit in the tournament, uh, in the, uh, the, the Thanksgiving tournament, in the win over Clemson, and then the, the loss to TCU, but bounced back in a really big way against Georgia Tech. And was just that that calm presence, uh, that that go to guy, the guy who could hit those big threes when he needed to. Uh, had that run where he, he really pushed the lead back out in the second half after uh, Georgia Tech had come out with their hair on fire and, and cut into the lead pretty drastically. Uh, but but Chris was that guy, and um, and the comparisons are just going to keep happening to Keegan, and that's okay because if you're getting compared to a guy who was the number four pick in the NBA draft last season. Uh, that's going to be pretty good. Do appreciate Chris while we have him because we're not going to have him for long. I did have this tweet the other night, and I, I I I seriously think that we should start to to think about this. If this season has the same kind of trajectory as last season did, and if Chris Murray puts up anywhere close to the type of stats that Keegan put up a year ago, uh, because at, at some point you just those two guys have made such an impact that you want to honor them in some way. We uh, hung Luca Garza's jersey in the rafters even before his his senior season was over. At some point, do you consider hanging just a Murray family jersey? Now, Kenyon, who played in the the early '90s for Tom Davis, didn't have the type of career that's worthy of of hanging his jersey, but um, could certainly be mixed in there. I know they have a sister as well. I think she plays at Cedar Rapids Prairie right now. I don't know how good of a player she is, or how highly recruited she'll be, or if if she's on. Lisa Bluter's list of, of players to, to bring in in a couple of years, but that'd be a fun little wrinkle there too. If she's a great Hawkeye, just put up a Murray Murray family jersey up into the rafters. Let's hope Chris uh, Chris gives us uh, more reason to talk about that as the season goes along here. Uh, but he had a great game. Connor McCaffrey is the other guy who you talk about first uh, first in that game. And um, typically, when you talk about Connor McCaffrey, you're not talking about stats, but in this game, you are. Ten points, ten rebounds, three of four from three point land. And Connor's just playing at a different level right now. He had three assists and a, and a steal. Um, but he played 31 minutes because they needed him to play 31 minutes. He he needed to be out there. He needed to be uh, helping to direct traffic and, and calm things down and play solid defense. And Connor McCaffrey is such an asset to this team and this program. Uh, and this year, it feels like maybe more than ever. You know, he was such a big part of the team when. Luca Garza was running the offense because he was such a good inlet passer, right? It's such a good down low passer. Um, and you can just kind of trust him to handle the ball. You can still trust him to do those things. You can still trust him to uh, have great inbounds passes and and lead the offense and stop runs from other teams or at least keep Iowa in a good position to, to keep those runs to a minimum. Um, but it could be even more than that this year. If, if he's hitting... Uh, at a decent clip from three, and, and you have to guard him. That's a whole another aspect of Iowa's team. If he's a, a guy who uh, is getting ten rebounds in certain games, putting up double digit points in certain games, playing thirty minutes in certain games, that's a really really big asset to this team. Um, I talked with Chad Leistico a little bit. I know he put it out to the the Hawk Central text group that he has, and 
If you're not a part of that, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're not a, a subscriber to Hawk Central and the Des Moines Register, I, I don't know what you're doing. It's cheap to get a, a digital subscription. They're not paying me to say this. Uh, but I learn a lot from those guys. I, I, I consume a lot of their content, and uh, and I appreciate them. But I was talking to Chad uh, in person, and, and he mentioned that he had put out to the text group something about, you know, should Connor start? Fran tinkered with the starting lineup a little bit coming out of that Thanksgiving tournament, coming into this Georgia Tech game, uh, putting Ulysses as the starter, benching Sanford. Uh, is Connor, does he have the type of role that can start? I think we're probably too early to, to go there yet just because if it's a game that he's needed, they can go to him and they can keep him in and he can play his 31 minutes. Uh, he played as many minutes as, as anybody other than uh, Keegan who played, or Chris <laughs> rather, who played 39 minutes and Tony Perkins who had 33. Connor was third on the team, so he essentially got started minutes without starting. He didn't need to start him. I don't think you do need to start him. Uh, but he is there for when you do need him. And, and he's, again, just such a huge asset to this team and this program and and is going to be a really big part of, of how far this team is able to go. Speaking of that new lineup, you know, Peyton Sanford, he's, he's just struggled. He struggled. It was really nice to see that one three go down, but that was the one he made. Uh, he was two of eight from the field, one of five from three-point land, had just five points, a couple of assists, a couple of rebounds. You hope that it's it's not in his head. You hope he's able to figure this out fairly quickly and start hitting some big shots and uh, and play himself back into a, a starting position. Um, but Fran showed last year, midway through the Big Ten season, that he's not afraid to, to change up these lineups, whereas he, he had been kind of reluctant to do that in the past. Uh, he has shown now that, that he's not afraid to do that, and he's got the type of players um, who have demanded more time. Ulyss uh, has demanded more time. Now, he didn't play great against Georgia Tech. He didn't score. It was 0-4 from the field. He did play 22 minutes and have five assists. Uh, but and, and a couple of steals, he just he adds a different element. And when when he and Tony Perkins are out there together, that backcourt has so much speed. Ulysses uh, doesn't need to be a scorer because you got Perkins and Murray and Patrick and Robracha out there doing some of that stuff. Uh, and and Ulysses is able to kind of take care of the ball at this point. Um, he has played himself into a position where you have to consider starting him defensively. He and and Tony Perkins are are hellish. You, you hate going up against the the energy that they bring, the speed that they have, the quick hands, uh, the eyesight, the, the just ability that they have uh, to play defense. So Aaron Euless played himself into that spot, and, and I, I like that starting five going forward with Euless replacing Sanford and uh, and Euless and Perkins as, as the backcourt. I don't think you need to mess with that a whole lot. Um, DeSante Bowen has also played himself into a position where he needs some minutes. He needs more time. He had that really nice. I mean, he only had one shot, but it was such a nice move to the basket. Things that we don't see from Iowa players. He only played five minutes. He had two assists and a block, and that one, you know, layup, uh, the two points that that he scored. And so, Ulysses and Bowen have just played themselves into a position where they need more minutes. They need more of a look. Uh, and Peyton Sanford just hasn't done that this season. He did it last year as a freshman. He played himself into a a a, a good role on this team. And I'm hopeful he's able to do that again. Hopefully he's able to see some shots go down, find himself a little bit, uh, and, you know, away we go with with him. And away we go, right? The biggest week of the season is next week. And it's a, uh, it's a, a grueling week, and it's a quick turnaround between games. And here we go. You're at Duke. Not at Duke. You're against Duke uh, on Tuesday night, a late game against Duke. At Madison Square Garden, anytime you're able to play in the Garden, it's a big deal. Anytime you're able to play Duke, it's a big deal. It's a an 8:30 tip. It's a late game. It's going to be a, a featured game on ESPN as part of the Jimmy V Classic. You know, there's going to be at least one feature on the McCaffrey family and Patrick and his fight with with cancer. That's just going to make us all cry. It's going to get real dusty in some living rooms all across the state of Iowa Tuesday night. And then hopefully it gets dusty again as uh, as the Hawkeyes uh, are able to, to get a win over Duke. That would be fantastic. That'd be such a statement win, a neutral court win over a team like that, a program like that. Even if Duke isn't the Duke of old, even if Coach K isn't there, and even if they fall off to some degree, uh, you know we've seen that they are beatable this season already. Uh, even if all of that happens, uh, having a Duke win on your resume, certainly in a in a neutral court game, is a huge thing come March and a huge thing for this team and and. And for this fan base and for this program to, to kind of build off of, uh, that would be a big, big thing. That's a huge spot on Tuesday night. And it may be your least significant game of the three that week. 
I mean, to, to think that a game against Duke may be the least significant because you turn back around, and that's, gonna again, going to be a late-night 8.30 tip, and that's after a game before it, so we're, that could even be pushed back a little bit, probably will be pushed back a little bit. You're talking that's 9.30 on the East Coast. You're talking midnight before you're even done with the game. You fly back to Iowa in the middle of the night. You try to get some sleep on Wednesday morning. You probably don't have much of a practice, and then you plug right into Iowa State because – uh, this is not just an Iowa State team coming in. This is a team coming in with a lot of confidence. It's a team that's ranked at this point and, and, and likely will be going into next week. It'll be interesting to see if Iowa has played itself back into the rankings uh, next week because Iowa, I think TCU was the first team out of the AP poll. Iowa was the second team out. We'll see how other teams do around them. But obviously Iowa now with that win over Georgia Tech uh, is now idle for the rest of the week. Um, Iowa State now plays... St. John's, which is that that'd be a tough game on Sunday before the the Iowa State game or the the Iowa Iowa State game, the Seahawks game. So you know, will Iowa State be ranked? Possibly, likely, I guess. Will Iowa be ranked? Possibly, maybe, likely. Uh, that's a huge, huge game Thursday night, and that's a team that is not easy to play against. They're they're physical. They play nonstop, relentless defense. That's what they want. They want a game in the fifties. Iowa wants a game in the eighties. Uh, they play completely different styles. How is this game going to be called? That's going to be a huge part of this. Uh, can Iowa hit some of those threes that they haven't been great this season yet uh, from behind the arc? Can they hit some of those shots? Can they can they break the press of Iowa State? Can they get through that defense? Can they play a solid forty minutes against a good Iowa State team in a big rivalry game? Thirty six hours, you know, essentially after getting home from a trip playing against Duke. And then you turn around and you open Big Twelve, Big Ten play against your biggest rival, probably maybe Illinois, but Wisconsin is right there as well. Um, certainly the team I hate the most. But you have a Sunday afternoon game, Sunday evening game against Wisconsin. Like, I'm glad Fran has put this schedule together, and and I'm, I know he has faith in this team to be able to handle this. But holy cow, this is the biggest week of the season. And I don't know that any week in the Big Ten will will match up with it. I mean, if you look at I, – I don't even want to do this right now. I guess you have a week where you play Ohio State and Michigan State uh, at Ohio State and at Michigan State. So that will probably trump this ultimately. And who knows what some of these games late in the season. You're home against Michigan State and then at Indiana in a three-day span at the end of the season in February. Um, so who knows how all this will play out against some of those other games. The, the the Purdue games look a lot more daunting now than they did a couple of weeks ago. The Michigan State games certainly do. Um, but but as we sit here today, this is the biggest week of the season. And when you talk about a um, when you talk about an NCAA tournament resume, and like it or not, it all comes down to the NCAA tournament anymore in college basketball. It always has. Uh, when you talk about those resumes and quad one wins, which was such a big topic a year ago, this is a huge week. You can do a lot in this week. You can get Fran his 500th victory this week. And there's really not a bad place to do it. Sure, you hope it happens in Madison Square Garden against Duke. That'd be really cool. It'd also be really cool to get it in the Cyhawk game. It'd also be really cool to get it in the first Big Ten win against Wisconsin. Uh, you hope you're not there because that means you've lost the two before that. But um, th- this is just huge. So if, if you go 2-1, two, two and one, you feel pretty good, I think, next week. And I think, I don't know who you picked. To lose. I guess you probably picked to lose the Duke game. If you go two and one, if you go one and two, that's going to be kind of tough. Now you're going to have a good win regardless, but one and two is going to be tough. You're going to have to maybe adjust expectations a little bit. Oh, and three would be a disaster. Oh, and three would be really tough uh, because then you really don't have another chance for a signature win until after the new year uh, home against Indiana. Cause you get Nebraska and Penn state uh, in your first couple of big, tw- big 10 games after a, a couple of non-conference games after the Wisconsin game, Man, the schedule just goes back and forth, right? Um, but you you need one of these to be a signature win. You go three and zero next week, woo! The sky's the limit, baby. Off to the races. We're talking Final Four, right? Like I mean, the the lid blows off. Iowa then becomes one of the teams to talk about in the Big Ten. Let's let's wait to 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 have those conversations until we get there. Uh, but it's it's a big week, man. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think, this week, uh, this next week. A uh, week and a half or so for Hawkeye basketball. You know the the game the other night, the Georgia Tech game. Again, a a, a pitiful crowd inside Carver Hawkeye Arena, and I don't have a lot of room to talk. 
I'm not like upset at fans or anything about this. I don't go to many of these games. I am going to go to the Eastern Illinois game on the 21st. Going to take uh, my dad, my son, and my brother and my nephew. We're all going to make it over to that game, and hell, we'll probably have an entire section to ourselves at that point, right? Winter break and Eastern Illinois and all of those things. Um, which is it's too bad. It's just it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame that this it has gotten to this point. Sure, the Iowa State and Wisconsin games will be packed, and, and most of the Big Ten season will be packed as well. It's just too bad that we have a good team, a ranked team last week uh, when Connor McCaffrey sent his tweet about kind of being disappointed in uh, in the, the atmosphere inside Carver. I know it was the same case. I mean, that's an ACC Big Ten Challenge game. That's a, a Power 5 team that you have. You've got a good Hawkeye team coming home from a, a Thanksgiving tournament, and it's 30 40% full in Carver. And again, I'm not admonishing anybody. I didn't make the trip over either. It's an 8 o'clock tip on a weeknight. That's a really hard thing to do if you live in Des Moines or anywhere outside of Iowa City. They also haven't made it very attractive for fans, and that's that's the biggest thing. That's the thing that, you know, the late weeknight games, uh, the the bad non-conference teams where you expect to win, th- those are all factors, sure. The biggest thing is just the what's happened inside Carver over the last 20 years, and, and really even before that. They need to make this student section a priority. They need to make it a cool thing to do on campus to go to basketball games. It's not. And it really probably, I don't don't want to say it's never been, but it wasn't when I was there 20 years ago. I was a member of the Hawks Nest, and nobody cared. They cared for the big games, but there there wasn't some giant conglomerate of people from the dorms making their way over to Carver-Hawkeye Arena in the middle of December for a game against Georgia Tech. It just wasn't. And part of it's because there's no reason to be. You're you're not on the court. You're not a factor in the game. They need to change that. They need to put the student section courtside. It needs to be a cool thing. It needs to be, and it's going to take years for this to happen, but there need to be people camping out for the, the front row seats. You need to have that kind of a thing. It needs to become a thing for the students to want to be there because they know they have an impact like they do at places uh, like Allen Fieldhouse and, and other places, you know, the Cameron Crazies. And, of course, those are the biggest places in the country. But uh, Hilton Coliseum has a, a great atmosphere. There's no reason they can do that in names and we can't do it in Iowa City. But a lot has to change. you got to get the donors out of those good seats. And I know that's a hard thing to do. They are the donors. You just you have to find a way to get those lower seats, those courtside seats, those that, that lower section of that bowl invested in the game integrated into the game, standing up and cheering and making it hell for other teams. I just I just I don't know I don't know how you do that without pissing a lot of people off without drastic changes. I feel like you missed a, a golden opportunity to do that in after the COVID year where people had gone a year without going to games. And if you move things around then and you kind of re energize the the student section and the fan the younger fan base uh, coming out of that, you had a chance to kind of move things around. Something has to happen inside Carver Hawkeye Arena because that can be a great atmosphere. That can be a great home court advantage for the Hawkeyes, and it is at times in the conference season. It's just, and, and I don't expect a full crowd for Omaha, but you got to have a better crowd than that for Georgia Tech, I think. And and hopefully we'll see that uh, next Thursday against the the Cyclones and the Sunday after against Wisconsin. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, just checking Twitter here to make sure I haven't missed any news before I dive into this football conversation and uh, how fast things are changing. Again, at, at some point, uh, everything I say here is probably going to sound dated and, and irrelevant, and, and that point may come a lot quicker uh, than, than it typically does. Um, but here we are today, Thursday. Uh, Keegan Johnson has announced his intentions to enter the transfer portal. I don't think this surprises anybody. It was such a strange season for him. He had such a big freshman campaign with Iowa a year ago. Uh, really felt like he was the future of the the wide receiver position as a Hawkeye. And really feel like this season may have gone differently 
uh, things had gone differently with him if if he hadn't. Um, again, I don't, I don't want to like speculate on what happened because we it's just been so vague. We've had very little clarity on what his situation was all season. Um, you know, he he was injured. They said a hamstring. At some point, they uh, the media just even quit asking week to week: Is he going to be able to play? I think he played 22 snaps this season. He had two catches in the Nevada game. Um, he saw the field a little bit last week, I, I believe, against Nebraska, but didn't have a catch. And you wonder what this offense would have looked like with a legitimate number one wide receiver. And that's what he is, and that's what he was. Um, Arlen Bruce isn't that type of player. And so, yeah, you just you wonder what Iowa's offense would have looked like if Keegan Johnson had been there. I don't think it would have been drastically different, but I think it would have been different. I think it would have been better. And I would have liked to see it, but you know that that's too bad. Keegan Johnson, again, not a huge surprise that he's entered the transfer portal early this week. Alex Padilla announced that he has answer, entered uh, or will enter the transfer portal. The, the portal opens on Monday, so anybody saying they've entered uh, is just kind of announcing their intentions. So don't you know? Don't hit me with uh, with uh, you know minute details like me saying they've entered the transfer portal. Um, these guys are good. They're, they're not going to come back. Now, a lot of players do come back, and I think that's a an under-talked-about aspect of this transfer portal, and we're just a couple of years into this, and so it's understandable. And I think Iowa has probably the best example uh, of this, and that's Davion Nixon, who entered the transfer portal a few years ago. I don't know if he didn't find a new home or if Iowa recruited him hard enough to come back that, that he made that decision. I don't know exactly how that all played out. Maybe he talked about it. I don't remember. But he came back and... He was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten in 2020 for the Hawkeyes after going into the transfer portal that offseason. Now, that's rare. It's not likely. I don't expect Keegan Johnson to come back. I don't expect Alex Padilla to come back. Uh, but I just saw this thing come across Twitter here uh, from a guy, J.R. Sundlin. Um, he has these numbers over the last three years, and I'm not going to read you all the numbers, but essentially... 40% of, of players who have entered the transfer portal have found a new home. 40%. And that's a, it's a big sample size. 19,217 football prospects entered the portal over the last three years, and just under 7,700 of them found a new home. 40%. So again, I'm not saying that only 40% of the Hawkeyes who enter uh, are going to move on. But things are changing quickly, and they're changing for everybody. And, and name, image, likeness has changed the game on a lot of, and, and is a, a factor that's just so unknown. Still, you just don't know because it doesn't have to be known. It's 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 above board, sure, but it's it's not in the open. Um, we don't know what Iowa Swarm Collective or the Iowa City NIL Collective Club or whatever it's called. Um, we don't know how much money they have. We don't know how much money they're giving out. We don't know who their donors are or, or how much or what their kind of ethics are or anything like that. We And we don't know what the, our competitors have in any of those things either. I think we can all guess that some of those places have a heck of a lot more money than we do and are willing to throw a heck of a lot more money around than, than we ever will. And I think we could probably guess some places don't have as much money as we do. I'd like to think if it comes down to NIL between Iowa and Iowa State, or really any of the new Big 12 programs, that I was going to do okay in that. If it comes down to NIL between Iowa and Ohio State, or really any SEC team, we're probably not going to fare so well. So let's A, hope it doesn't always come down to NIL. And I don't think it does. And that, that's one of the really good things that Iowa has with Kirk Ferentz uh, is this culture. And it's not perfect, and it's hopefully getting better, but it's clear that the culture is not broken. Because this team has stayed together. This program has stayed together through on-field and off-field major shakeups, Drastic changes. Big conversations. Racial allegations and lawsuits. The firing of people for racial allegations and lawsuits. A kind of reckoning within the program on, on how they allow players to conduct themselves and to be young people in this, in this social media world. In this digital age, this ain't 1978. It ain't 1998. Hell, it's not. It's not 2008, right? There have been major changes. There have been major on-field 
ad- there has been major on-field adversity. The uh, starting 0 and 2 in 2020 felt like a uh a, a huge huge hit to the culture and then they won 6 in a row, won 12 in a row. The the step back last year after the heights of reaching number 2 in the country after that Penn State win and and then falling on your face two weeks in a row and then getting blown out in the Big 10 championship game and losing your bowl game and coming back this year and having the start to the season that that Iowa had. The fact that they haven't fallen apart as a team, as a program, speaks to culture. And I think Iowa has a leg up over a lot of schools when it comes to that. But Iowa is probably down the the road a little bit when it comes to NIL opportunities. And it's certainly going to be down the road a little bit and going to be negatively recruited against when it comes to offensive players in the transfer portal. This isn't the end of the transfer portal this season, all right? And again, maybe when you're listening to this, more guys have already announced. I'm not reporting anything. I've heard rumors. I'm sure you've heard rumors. I've heard NIL is a factor with some players. I've heard it's not a factor with some players, and they're they're gone either way. I hope Iowa is heavily recruiting some of the guys that you have to keep. I know from all reports that Iowa is heavily active in the transfer portal. But expect more of this to follow. Expect some more attrition. Probably in that wide receiver room. And can you blame them? You can't. But expect some names that you don't want to see leaving, announcing that they're leaving. And then brace yourself for what they do with other programs. It wasn't fun to watch Charlie Jones, as good as it is for him and as happy as I am for him, for playing, you know, it was the right move for him. It wasn't fun to watch him become one of the best receivers in the Big Ten after leaving Iowa. It's not going to be fun to watch Keegan Johnson if he goes to Nebraska, which he may because his dad played there. It's not going to be fun if some of Iowa's other named wide receivers or other skill position players or, God forbid, anybody off the defense go somewhere else. So brace yourselves here. But also do what do what I, I told you to do after the Ohio State game when, when the sky was falling on the season. Take a breath. Pump the brakes. This isn't the end of the world. Um, the, the transfer portal is going to taketh. It's going to giveth too. All right? It's probably going to get better before it gets worse, but it will get better. It will get better. There are players who want to come to Iowa. There are skill players. There are wide receivers. There are quarterbacks. There are offensive linemen who are going to want to come to play for Iowa. Now, if they if it's Iowa or Purdue, maybe not. If it's Iowa or Kansas State, maybe not. If it's Iowa or Ohio State, certainly not. If it's Iowa or Buffalo, you come to Iowa. That's what Charlie Jones did. You remember he was a transfer into Iowa. If it's Iowa or an FCS school, if you're the best FCS receiver and Iowa wants you to come play in the Big Ten, you, you think about doing it. The timing of this is also strange because we, the, the season isn't over. We've entered the offseason before the season has ended. And I don't, I don't know how you reconcile these things. I don't know how um, anybody, but, but in this case, Iowa, because that's what we're talking about here. I, I don't know how you are able to hold these two things, not just in your minds, uh, but actively uh, approaching these two things at the same time. And, th- and these two things are a bowl game, which we can debate about the importance of, and the importance of the minor bowl games has certainly fallen over the last several years and will continue to do so as the playoff expands. But but bowl games that a lot of us plan trips around, uh, it's one more football game. I mean, we can poo-poo the Duke's Mayo Bowl, all we want. The day of that game, if it's the Hawkeyes, we're watching that game, and it is important, and we do care, and it does matter. And if you're a coach or a player on this team, again, the season hasn't ended. You've got another game to get ready for. Meanwhile, the offseason has begun. Players are leaving. I don't know what Spencer Petras's uh, 
injury situation is, but if if Iowa had to play a game today, Joey Labus is your starting quarterback. You got to get him ready to play a game. You have to be active in the transfer portal, which opens on Monday, because you're going to lose some players. You need to replace those players. And Iowa, by all accounts, is being active in the transfer portal. They're going heavy after Michigan quarterback Cade McNamara, as well they should. I don't know that he's an end-all, be-all savior for Iowa football. Uh, If nothing else changes and Cade McNamara comes into the program, they're not going to be drastically better than they were, but that would be a heck of an upgrade at the quarterback position and give you a really good starting point from which to rebuild this offense, whether through the transfer portal and picking up skill players to put around him or how you make changes to the scheme and the coaching staff moving forward. The Stanford running back, Arlen Harris Jr., who I was apparently close to snagging in the recruiting cycle out of high school, is visiting Iowa this weekend. This weekend, the transfer portal hasn't even opened yet, and he's visiting Iowa this weekend. Iowa should be in Indianapolis this weekend playing for a Big Ten championship. Instead, they're recruiting players to come join their team a year from now while trying to prepare for a bowl game. The timing of this is so difficult because we're several weeks, maybe a month away from a bowl game, and therefore, in my mind, likely several weeks, maybe a month away from making many any major changes in the coaching staff, if those are to come, and I, I think they will. I don't know what, but it's hard to then sit here and, and sit still and wait and ask players to trust you. Hey, things are going to be different. We can't tell you how, we can't tell you when, uh, we can't tell you what we're going to do because we're preparing for this bowl game against an SEC team or whatever the case may be, that our fans are paying a lot of money to go watch, uh, that does count on our overall record, that that is a, a legitimate college football game. I mean, you can't fire your entire staff oh, three weeks before a bowl game, can you? If you do, are you just throwing the white towel in for a bowl game? Does a bowl game then become a glorified scrimmage and and a couple of weeks of practice where you start to then move in a different direction and maybe you do hand things to Joey Labus, see what he has, give him a chance to audition for whoever the, the incoming offensive coordinator or quarterback's coach or receiver's coach or whatever the case may be. It's just, it's such a hard time because you have, again, you have these two separate things and you can't treat either of them like they don't matter unless you're going to turn down a bowl game. And I was not going to turn down a bowl game, or at least they shouldn't. You're seven and five. You've earned that bowl game. You've earned that opportunity for the players on the team uh, who will have a cool trip and get all that swag and get to play against, uh, get to play another game for the fans who get to you know drive to, to Nashville maybe or, you know, God forbid, go see a game in Yankee Stadium. But at the very least, watch one more Hawkeye football game before we have an eight-month desert in front of us without college football. You have to treat the bowl game like it's important, but it can't be the most important thing because if you don't act now, you're behind the eight ball when you start to build next year's team. It's just such a strange time right now. And in the the infancy of all of this, it's hard to know how any of it's going to to look. You throw the NIL stuff in there as well, and that's just a whole different. It's just a, it's a whole different thing, and none of us have been through it enough times to know where it's going to go. There's been a lot of talk about I will, will not. I was not going to be uh, active in the transfer portal. They're not. Kirk Ferentz isn't. He's too too stubborn and too set in his ways and. Da, 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 da. I don't believe that. Uh, I think I think Iowa is going to be active. I think people are going to be overall fairly happy with what Iowa does in the transfer portal. You're going to lose guys you don't want to lose. That's going to happen. Hopefully, you can bring in a couple of guys that that turn some heads and and um, you'll give you something a solid foundation to start building on as you head into, into next season, where you you think you're going to have a pretty good defense and you know you're going to have to have a much better offense to compete for anything. But yeah, brace yourselves, man, because it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. Deep breaths. Let this play out before we make any rash judgments, before we make any overall judgments. Let's allow Iowa and Kirk Ferentz a chance to kind of make this right. 
One place they have made things right, or at least it seems to have been made right, uh, Tom Caker of Hawkeye Report was the, the person I saw kind of reporting this. I've seen Chad Lysico talk about it as well. It sounds like Caden Proctor is coming to Iowa. It sounds like uh, whatever questions he had, uh, whatever wandering eye he had, have, have been figured out. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, and somebody came up with the, the money to match Oregon's offer or something like that. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no inside information. And I'm just going off the reporting of guys who I trust, like Tom Caker and Chad Lysico, um, that Caden Proctor will sign uh, in the early signing period in December with the Iowa Hawkeyes. And if that's the case, you take a big deep breath there and you feel good about that moving forward. And then you have to recruit your own players. You can't lose a Luke Lachey. I don't think you would. Why would you leave Iowa if you're a tight end? I mean, Sam Laporta just had what I think some people would consider a disappointing year to to expectations, and he's the Big Ten tight end of the year. He was Iowa's best offensive weapon this season. Luke Lachey had a really big game against Nebraska. He played well when he needed to this season. He's the go-to guy next year. I don't see why he would leave. Same story with Caleb Johnson. He proved himself to be Iowa's feature back towards the end of the season. I think he will be going into next season, even if Iowa does bring in a transfer or two, and even with you know a guy like LeSean Williams who had a, a good season. I guess I would expect one of those guys to transfer out, maybe Gavin Williams, but I have, no again, no idea. I'm not reporting anything. That's what I would kind of expect. But you have to now recruit Caleb Johnson to stay and, and give him a reason to stay, and this is what the new offense is going to look like. This is what the offensive line is going to look like. This is what our game plan is for you moving forward. There's going to be more 200-yard days in your future. There's going to be more plays featuring you. There's going to be less three-headed running back. But how do you how do you recruit these guys? How do you recruit the transfer portal? How do you start to build an offense next season until you make changes? And if you're not going to make changes before the bowl game, can you afford to wait a month? What are those changes? I think something has to happen with Brian Ferentz for sure. There needs to be a step taken back at the very least, a reassignment. And obviously, you know, him either taking another job or, or being out and out fired um, is, is the extreme. But I can't, I, you cannot have Brian Ferentz return as offensive coordinator. The fans aren't going to accept it. There's no way to justify it. He can't be the quarterback's coach. There's no way to justify it the fans will not accept it he could be the offensive line coach and I think George Barnett in two seasons well much of it's probably not on him um they just haven't developed the way that you expect an Iowa offensive line to develop and two years isn't enough time but if if that's the that's a move that needs to be made I, I think that's a move that that will be made Kelton Copeland who's you know, recruited well for the most part at wide receiver, but now you have five receivers in the last two years transferring out. It was a, a disaster at the receiving core position this season. If you lose a couple more of these guys in the transfer portal before the bowl game, I mean, you got Brody Brecht and a bunch of walk-ons out there trying to catch passes in a in a bowl game. Uh, you know, so will Kel- Kelton Copeland be be a guy to to be put to pasture here? Potentially. And then what happens when you bring in a new offensive coordinator or a new quarterback's coach? What does that system look like? Does Kirk Ferentz still have a stranglehold on on what type of offense Iowa plays? There's a lot up in the air right now, man. And it feels that this is it, it is. It doesn't feel it is. It's pivotal. There's a lot of steps Iowa needs to take, and they can't afford a misstep on almost any of them. And that's a scary proposition. It's scary to think that Kirk Ferentz is going to make the right move in every step here over the next six weeks. And I think what we found over the last week or so is uh, is with the amount of money coming into the Big Ten, this is no longer uh, we're, we're no longer a, a second class program. We never have been right. The Big Ten certainly hasn't been a second class uh, conference, but. To see the moves that Wisconsin and Nebraska made to their coaching staffs, those are big hires. Luke Fickle is a huge hire for Wisconsin. That's a big get. He is a good coach, and he has a great starting point. A great starting point. 
And they, I, th- I mean, I think most people expected Jim Leonard to get that job. Now, they certainly fell apart a little bit at the end of the season. You can't lose to Iowa and Minnesota and expect to, to win the fan base over in Madison. But they didn't just sit on their laurels. I think they probably, Barry Alvarez probably wanted to give Jim Leonard that job. Why wouldn't he? But they didn't. They went out and got one of the biggest names in coaching, a guy who took Cincinnati to a playoff. They're getting better. They're not waiting. They're moving. Nebraska, they didn't even wait three weeks to save $15 million when they fired Scott Frost. They went and got Matt Rule, a guy who turned things around at Baylor, a guy who's won, although not at a super high level, pretty much everywhere he's been, and a guy who I I expect to make Nebraska better. Not great, not national championship caliber, but better. And then, oh, by the way, Lincoln Riley and his Heisman machine – are coming into the Big Ten in a year and a half. And the divisions are going to go away. The time is now. This is a new world. You can't wait. You can't wait to make a change. And I'm not talking about Kirk Ferentz. I'm talking he's the guy who can't wait. So it's going to be really interesting to see how kind of how all this plays out. Again, just a lot of really, really important decisions to be made over the next six weeks. Let's talk quickly just about bowl uh, games, bowl potential, bowl possibilities. What do we want to see in a bowl game? What's most important in a bowl game? Obviously, the, the the couple of weeks of practices are huge for the young players to get some different people in there. At this point, I expect Spencer Petrus to start the bowl game because why wouldn't you expect that at this point? Uh, but let's say he's injured, or let's say Iowa does decide to just make a drastic move. you got to see what you have in Joey Labus at some point, and if you're going to try to bring a, a Cade McNamara, who would ascend, I mean, presumably be your starter going into next season, let's find out what we have in Joey Labus. Give him these two weeks of practice with the ones, whatever the ones look like, and give him the bowl game. And treat the bowl game like a glorified scrimmage. And if you're going to do that, maybe it is time to make a move in the coaching staff before the bowl game. Other than maybe you say you're not giving Labus a fair shake. Man, there's just so many avenues to this thing. It's hard to wrap your head around. I'm just talking myself in circles here. But what's Iowa's team going to look like in the bowl game? If Caleb Johnson isn't there, Caleb Johnson, geez. There's too many Keegans and Calebs and Johnsons and Murrays. All right, get some new names, fellas. If Keegan Johnson isn't there, which he won't be, Alex Pitti is not there. I don't know that I expect Arlen Bruce to be there or Deontay Vines to be there. Who knows what other attrition, Gavin Williams, guys like that, who knows who will be there. What's this team going to look like going into a bowl game? If you're a Sam Laporta or a Jack Campbell, now those are guys who are program guys, loyal guys. Salt of the earth, guys. You can't ever imagine them sitting out a bowl game, right? I mean, if it's a low-tier bowl game, what do they have to gain? I wouldn't fault them. It's a business decision. Now, I expect those guys to play if, if healthy. Sam Laporte, if healthy. I expect him to play. And hell, he may be split wide the entire game <laughs> based on what Iowa may or may not have in the receiving core. But... What's Iowa going to look like in a bowl game? What, what's the roster even look like? What's the coaching staff look like? What's the feeling around the program three weeks into the transfer portal window? Is the feeling great? Is Cade McNamara a Hawkeye? You know, does, does Iowa have a new stable of receivers that we're all excited about moving forward? Or is it like, man, we've whiffed on everybody? And we haven't been aggressive enough. We don't have the NIL money to compete with these other teams. And it doesn't seem like we're going to make any changes to the offense. And Kirk Ferentz is snorting and saying, you know, hey, I don't know if you remember, we are half a game away from the Big Ten Championship last year. What's all this going to look like? Who knows? What bowl game is I going to go to? I'm going to steal a little work from Chad Lysko of the Des Moines Register here. I'm not going to take all his work. I appreciate him. I know he listens to these shows, and and thank you for for doing the legwork here. I'm just going to go through the five games that he has laid out 
as the most likely potential spots for Iowa. The ReliQuest Bowl, the Outback Bowl, it's really unlikely, right, that, that Iowa gets there um, just based on how poorly Iowa played this season. Just haven't played themselves there. The Music City Bowl, I think, is the, is maybe the, the best-case scenario. It's, it's a drivable game in Nashville. You have an SEC uh, team. It's on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve day, rather. Uh, it's on ABC. Uh, I, I I think Iowa wanted to go there, and, and they wanted Iowa to go there in 2020 uh, before the COVID cancellation of that game. I think that's your best-case scenario. I'll let you read Chad's article on the Des Moines Register uh, to find out what Iowa needs to do or what the options are there, what the chances are there. Um, the Pinstripe Bowl is another one that you've seen uh, thrown out there quite a bit. Iowa played there in 2017, beat Boston College. Uh, that's that'd be against an ACC team. That's a December 29th game at one o'clock on ESPN, and obviously that's just it's an expensive place to be between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, it's a weird situation at Yankee Stadium. If you're a huge Yankee fan and a Hawkeye fan, you probably went to the 2017 game. If that's like a bucket list thing for you, you've already done that. I think the the Pinstripe Bowl is low on uh, on the the, the fans. Uh, want to do something like this. The Dukes-Mayo Bowl against an ACC team. I think if Iowa gets picked for the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, Kirk Ferentz may just turn that thing down on the off chance that he gets dunked with with Mayo. He doesn't want that in any way, shape, or form. I I cannot imagine. Like, he may go just tank that game on purpose. And then the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which is a, a December 27th game in Phoenix against a Big 12 team. Um... You know that there's a chance there as well. I think Iowa fans would would flock there. There's a lot of people in Phoenix already, uh, but let's hope for the the uh, the Music City Bowl. Let's let's get an SEC team. Let's see what we have. And who knows what the hell things are going to look like three weeks from now, a month from now. And who knows when I open up Twitter after recording this, how much has changed, even in these last. 50 minutes or so. I do appreciate you. We'll have this covered from all angles, as we always do at HawkeyeNation.com. Things are going to get a little weird here over the next uh, few weeks as the uh, the kind of structure of this podcast changes in the offseason of football. I'm going to do as many um, instant reaction basketball podcasts as are warranted. Um, I may stay up late. I'm, I'm certainly going to watch all these games, right? But if, if, that, if that Duke game gets over at you know, 11 o'clock at night and Iowa got blown out, I probably won't do an instant reaction podcast. If Iowa won the game, I don't care if it's 1 a.m., I'll do one, right? Um, I'll do some of these podcasts in, in the midweek, but, you know, again, without the structure of, like, the the weekly instant reaction, the weekly opposition research, the weekly radio show, uh, this just get a little more sporadic and uh, a little more as needed with this podcast. But I do appreciate you listening. You can find all these podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcast, but just go check out the podcast page at HawkeyeNation.com. Uh, check out all the work that Rick Brown and Rob Howe and John Bonacamp are doing and will continue to do through this wild transfer portal season, this wild off season. And uh, as news breaks, man, we'll have it covered on all, all aspects. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, on Facebook, make sure you're following the right one because there's a Hawkeye Nation one there that that is not us and. And uh, I, I don't recommend following that one. But I do appreciate you listening. And go Hawks.